in Isaiah 9, verse 1 through to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We then turn to the Gospel of Luke. It's Luke chapter 2 and we begin at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, if you have your Bibles, it's probably worth having them open. No, it's definitely worth having them open uh, at uh, Luke, not Luke, Isaiah chapter 9. That's where we'll be spending most of our time this morning. Now, someone said this, I wrote it down because I thought it was uh, quite apt. Listen carefully. It's a shame Jesus was born at Christmas time. If he'd been born at another time, we might have had more time to stop and think about who he is, what he did and what it means. (laughs) You see the irony? We are going to, in the next week or so, slow down stop and think about who Jesus is, what he did, and what it means. And we're going to be coming out of uh, probably one of the most famous Old Testament passages, Isaiah 9, that Mike just read for us, that speaks of the promise of a child, the promise of one who was to come, who would bring God's salvation. Now, from the perspective of the New Testament, we understand that that prophecy made 730-odd years BC 
has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to use that as an opportunity to slow down and explore what it is that God has done for us. Now, Christmas is on us with all that entails. I don't know about you, but uh, Christmas has a certain amount of dread for me. Uh, I think it's an occupational hazard. Has anyone worked out that? Uh, uh, All of you guys are getting off work, you're slowing down, you're focusing. My life goes into overdrive at Christmas uh, and I'm juggling 50 things. Maybe your life is similar. Christmas is a time where stress levels rise. Christmas is a time where family relationships uh, that sometimes just simmer along all of a sudden boil over. Christmas is a time where we feel a lot of expectation. Yes, it's all about peace and love and hope and joy. Here we have joy. Uh, But do we feel that? I'd explore that with us this morning because I think joy is something that is particularly beautiful. Have you met someone who is joyous? Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want more of that? Maybe you've had that experience yourself where you felt just full to overflowing. Who wouldn't want that more? Our world tells us that Christmas is a time of joy. All you needed to do, unfortunately, these aren't up this year, but I I used to like walking through Rundle Mall and being told joy and peace and merry. It didn't really quite work, but that was one of the ones that was there. Uh, But I'd like to ask this morning, do we see joy as a gift or an obligation? Because I think sometimes when Christmas comes into uh, the frame, you start having thoughts like, I should be joyous. I should be happy. This should be a good time. And we feel that expectation, don't we? And so I think often we can find ourselves treating joy as something that is a bit more of an obligation than it is a gift. And maybe if we are not joyful, we then start beating ourselves up, don't we? I should be more joyful. Uh, And that just spirals the whole thing downward and you you don't need to be told where that ends. But we are told by our society that we should be. We should be and we we should find joy in Christmas. Whether it's in the buzz of the shopping madness that precedes Christmas whether it's the blur of too much to eat, too much to drink of that Christmas day, whether it's the bling of all the Christmas decorations, uh, you can see, yes, this was for Christmas, not just for Gabrielle, it was for Christmas, it is there. But I think these things, they distract us and they actually take us away from real joy. They are our way of actually helping ourselves feel better. And then we wake up on Boxing Day, which is a happy day if you like cricket, but for everyone else, you're kind of like, ah, you go shopping. (laughs) Yeah, back into the Christmas sales, isn't it? Yes, okay. But is there more? I would like to suggest 
that Christmas can deliver extraordinary joy. And not just for one day, but for every day of the year. And we're going to use Isaiah 9 to explore that incredible gift. I've got three headings there in your notes. The barriers to joy, some false trails, and the gift. So let's dive in. Ask you, what gets in the way of joy? What stops you feeling joy? Now, you could give lots of different answers. I came up with this one. Life is actually what stops you feeling joy. Yes, because life can be really hard. Life can be really tough. The Bible doesn't run away from this, but actually confronts it head on. The Bible says, yes, life can be really hard. And yes, you can have joy and not just a momentary bubble of happiness, but a deep joy that lasts. And those promises of joy are associated with what we celebrate at Christmas. Let me read to you this promise that was made, as I said, almost seven and a half hundred years prior to Christ. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You, that is God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. There's a promise of joy. And it's a joy that has been fulfilled. You notice, not you will enlarge their nation, they will. It's spoken of as if it is actually happening. But if you know anything about the time when Isaiah the prophet made these promises, where God through his spirit inspired these words to be said, you would know that it's not an easy time. Let me take you back. Let me take you back to 732 BC, to the city of Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of God's people. They had divided some 200 years earlier into Israel and with 10 tribes in the north and Judah with two tribes in the south. And King Ahaz, who was a descendant of David, King David, uh, was on the throne in the south. He'd been on the throne for one year and he'd inherited not only the kingdom from his father, uh, but he had inherited a battle. His father had refused to ally with the two northern neighbours, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Aram, Damascus, Syria now, uh, against Assyria. His father had stood back and said, I don't want a bar of this conflict. You can do it yourself. And they said, oh, well, we don't really like that. So what we're going to do is we're going to invade you, Judah, first, and we're going to set up a king that will do what we want him to do. But then Ahaz's dad dropped dead, didn't he? And he comes to the throne having inherited this conflict. The northern neighbours of Aram and Israel were coming in and invading Judah. And Judah was losing. They were losing in spades. And other nations around them, and if you know the Middle East, Judah's sitting uh, to the west of the Dead Sea. Okay? Uh, but every other neighbour, 
other than the Dead Sea, decided this was a good time to pick on Judah. Okay, so Judah's being invaded from the north by Aram and Israel. The Philistines, who you may know, you know, Goliath and that sort of thing, they're in the west on the coast. They think, hey, it might be a good idea while they're distracted to take back bits of land that we kind of like. And then the Edomites to the south kind of went, oh, stacks on Judah. Who wants to be king? Anyone? Okay, would you think that it's a happy time in the kingdom of Judah in 732 BC? No. If you can read, uh, read up in 2 Chronicles 28, you'll read the story and you'll see that not only were they not winning, they were losing territory, their army had been decimated, the king's son and some of his key officials had been killed in battle, his people had been captured and deported to be slaves, and he was making a last stand in Jerusalem. And then Isaiah pops up and starts talking about joy. How do you feel if your Ahaz at that point? This is not the time to talk about joy. Yes, it is. It is totally the time to talk about joy. Let's jump ahead. 2019, maybe we're not being invaded here in Australia, but would you call us a joyful nation? Would you call us a joyful nation? I've been around now for a little while, uh, and I think Australians are more anxious, stressed than they've ever been. We see threats everywhere. Maybe it's an economic threat. Unless we can get the economy bubbling along, our way of life is under threat. Maybe it's a political threat because the wrong guys are in parliament or the right guys are in there, but the wrong guys might take them out. And maybe we're feeling that and our politics is getting increasingly conflicted. Just ask anyone who is a British citizen here this morning. They know what conflict is like. You're either really, really happy or really, really sad. That is there. One of my funny little anecdotes is uh, I checked, um, there were some articles that came out after the Australian election and uh, a request to immigrate to, the, to New Zealand peaked uh, the day after the Liberal government came into power or retained power. Uh, the wrong guys are in, or maybe the right guys are in, but the wrong guys might be in next time. Our threats are political, they're economic, Maybe they're social. There's more and more and more protest about more and more different things. Maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's environmental. And we see that we are under threat. It's a time of uncertainty. But God's word is living and active. And as we speak, as Isaiah spoke 732 BC to Ahaz and to Judah, God's word speaks to us now. And the promise of joy is just as real. Let me talk about joy for just a little bit. Joy is not happiness. They're not the same thing. Happiness is a bubble that bursts. Joy is something that rises up and is sustained. It may not last forever, but it lasts Joy is something that is not deeply rooted in what is going on in the immediate surroundings. So happiness, 
Um, I was happy last night when I went to bed because I like cricket and I like it when we're kicking the living daylights out of the New Zealanders. It's a wonderful thing. Sorry, Andrew, I know you're probably not... You like rugby, though, don't you? Because that's when you kick the living daylights out of us. Okay, but I went to bed and then I got up this morning. I thought I'd check. In Australia, they'd dropped the ball. They were six for 160. It's like a New Zealand score. Why would we be that? And my, my happiness just disappeared. But joy is more sustained. Joy is more real. Joy lasts. But it's a funny thing. Can you focus on being more joyful? I'm going to give you just a moment to talk amongst yourselves. I want you to uh, think and maybe even talk about this with the people around you. How would you go about being more joyful? What are some practical steps you could take? So just talk amongst yourselves. You've got about 30 seconds. Go for it. Okay, come back, come back. Now, I want you to be really careful. I didn't ask you what you can do to be more happy. I asked you what you can do to be more joyful. Does anyone feel like they've come up with the strategy? You could write the self-help book, you know, like Wuffle's got the how not to be a pain in the neck. You could write, you know, my three steps to joy in your life. Share them with us, brothers and sisters, so we can steal them and write the book ourselves. Mike? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a consequence of relationship. Okay. Okay, Mike is starting... He, he's trumped me... Ron's trumped me theologically here. Okay. Yeah, okay. I can't really argue against the Bible, can I? <laughs> it's true. It's true. We'll come back to that. That is true. Anything else? Yeah, Jamie. I find the more I pray, the more joyful I am. Okay, which ties into... Yep. But do you pray to become more joyful? It's a consequence. Okay. So it's one of those funny things. The reason why I got you to do this, one of these funny things, you can't aim at it directly. It's really, really, I would suggest it's impossible to say, these are three things I can do to become more joyful. Joyful, joy comes out of circumstance. It comes out of something else that is happening in your life, a relationship perhaps that you have with God mediated by the Spirit, made possible through Christ. That's why we call ourselves Trinity Church, because there was three. Uh, That's there. Uh, Here's a quote by David Brooks. Joy is the byproduct experienced by people who are aiming at something else. Joy is the byproduct. So what is it? What are we aiming at? How, what can we aim at that actually will give us lasting joy? I would like to suggest that ultimately joy is the product of salvation. And when it comes to Christianity, I believe we have a salvation that trumps anything. Let me explain, because there's a few false trails that brings us on to point two. Let me take you back to false trail number one. 
732 BC, what did Ahaz do? Okay, you have the king of Israel, king of Judah there in the south, and he's a bit, uh, probably feeling a little bit ripped off that dad died at the point that he did and left him to run a kingdom that was being invaded from the north, the west and the south simultaneously. That it had been whittled away, he'd lost huge tracts of land, most of his army, key people in his government, including his son and heir. What did he do? He's looking for a saviour. But he saw that the threat, first and foremost, was a military threat. And so what does he need? He needs someone with a bigger army than those who are attacking him. So he gets all his gold together. He plunders the temple, which you know is quite a big thing. And he sends that gold off to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria takes his gold. Historians kind of said... Ahaz didn't need to ask, he was going to do this anyway, Uh, and he invades. He comes in and he conquers Aram and Israel. He devastates them. He totally destroys Damascus. But we read this in 2 Chronicles 28, verse 20. Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, came to him, but he gave him trouble instead of help. One problem went away. Israel and Aram, another problem came into view that was actually a bigger problem than he had before, which is now the king of Assyria wants his piece of the pie. And Judah becomes a vassal state to Assyria, paying tribute each year, enslaved as a nation. So you could say that Ahaz won the battle, but he actually lost the war. What about us? There are many threats and depending on what threats we see, we look for different saviours. Maybe we see our threats as political and who's going to save us? It's the likes of the Donalds or the Borises or the Scots. Okay, not the Scots with the kilts, but the Scots as in Scott Morrison. Or the other people who would take power if they weren't there. We look for political saviours or Maybe, maybe if the problem is not that, but it's, it's environmental. We have a Messiah that is being pushed to us at the moment, the new time person of the year. Greta and her likes are being told, we're being told, these people hold our hope that is there. But maybe we're not tied to so much individuals. We, we're also told isms are the answer. And so some of us, particularly our younger generation, is starting to explore the communism, socialism path and seeing that that may have the answer. And some of us, we love the capitalism path and that's got the answer, endless economic growth. Can I say I've deliberately tried to be as neutral in all of this and I'm not casting judgment on any of these figures. But each and every single one of them is a false messiah. They may do good, they may change things In the short term, they can never deliver lasting hope. It will always be a transient thing. It will always be passing. And so lots of us, we're cynical enough that we don't pin our hopes on these. And so what do we do? We immerse ourselves in our endless entertainment. We immerse ourselves in the God's 
of our culture, of consumerism and indulgence, and we pretend it will all somehow get better, and we only pay attention to it when we have to. But that doesn't work either, does it? So how do we find joy this Christmas? Let me talk to you about the gift of joy. Isaiah made a promise to Ahaz, and it wasn't a promise that was primarily about military issues. Isaiah made a promise to to Ahaz that was not just about deliverance from the armies. It was much, much bigger. Because behind all the threats, whether back in 732 BC or in the here and the now, all of those are symptoms of a bigger threat. A bigger threat that underlies all of them. And that is what the Bible talks about as sin, which is our alienation from God, our, our turning away from him, our rejecting him as king, our ignoring his word. The Bible tells us that that is what underlies everything that is going wrong. So if we need a salvation that is lasting, it must address that issue. And Isaiah came in and he made a promise. He said, salvation is coming. In fact, it has come. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. There's a massive change of circumstance. I don't know if you've ever lived, some of us may have, in a situation where you have been under physical threat, whether that's just in a home, a violent situation whether that's in a nation that has been torn apart in conflict. You would know what it is like to find deliverance, perhaps. For those of us who've grown up in comfortable Adelaide, the greatest threat is that Victoria might once again win the AFL or something like that, or the Kiwis might beat us in cricket. We don't get this. But imagine Ahaz... What do you mean a harvest? Aram and Israel and then Assyria have taken everything we have. But God promises them rejoicing at the harvest. What do you mean victory? We have lost every battle to date and the the rest of it doesn't look good. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. These are over. The hard work of cultivating the ground to bring forth the fruits of the earth is done. This is the harvest. The time of scarcity is gone. The time of abundance is here. The battle has been won. We don't need to fight this war. The victory is ours. All we need to do is divide the spoils. Notice that it has been done for them. The events, the work has happened in the past. It has been done for them. How? Well, a bit further down in verse 7, Isaiah sums up this little section when he says, 
the zeal of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies will accomplish this. God himself. So what is it that he deploys? He deploys his number one weapon. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. Not just any child. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God deploys his number one weapon. The one who will not just deal with the surface circumstance. The one who will deal with the one great enemy that lies behind them all. The one who will conquer sin and death and evil. If you read on in Isaiah, a bit later on, chapter 53, he speaks of another figure where most people will agree the servant of the Lord is the child that is promised. And we read this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, an image of sin. And the Lord has laid on him, the servant, the king, the iniquity of us all. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Ahaz won the battle and lost the war. The Lord Jesus Christ, as he goes to the cross, he loses the battle so that he might win the war. He dies in our place. He bears our sin and rises again to new life. He loses the battle to win the war. Where do we find joy this Christmas? We find it in the fact that God has stepped into humanity. He has sent his son, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, born in a shed, raised as a peasant, living in a backwater of the Roman Empire, lived for us, died for us and rose again that we might have life in his name. Where do we find joy? It's great to have a party. It's great to have the food and the celebration and the gifts, but they can bring happiness. Seeing the gift that is Christ. Seeing that in him now, we are his sons, we are God's sons and daughters. We can come to the father, his father, and say, our father. We are loved and cherished. And nothing can change that. Doesn't matter what's happening in politics, in the environment. Those things are important. They have their place. But that is not where salvation is found. And joy overflows from salvation. We have it now in part and we look forward to the fact that it will come in fullness when the government will be on his shoulders. When is that? That's when Christ returns to set all things straight. 
to live up to his name as the Prince of Peace. And peace will reign individually and corporately over the world. He will set all things right. So how do we find joy? Well, the first thing we need to do is recognise the false trials. And maybe we've bought those lies. Maybe we've been convinced by what the world is telling us and we're pinning our hopes on that wonderful family celebration. It's great to have a family celebration. Don't get me wrong. But that's not where it's found. And I think if we can see those things correctly, we pin less on them. And so maybe you will have a wonderful day and I pray that you do. Maybe you might have a terrible day. I hope that's not the case. But if you are not looking to that to give you the lasting joy that comes at Christmas, you can deal with that. It exposes the false trials. But you need to recognise that as you turn away from that, you need to turn to the true hope, the true joy. You need to accept it. That God has given you his son. You need to dwell on it. You need to carve out some time. It's great that you're here this morning. To spend time digging into what God has done for us. What God has given us. And we need to share it. And what an opportunity we have tonight to do exactly that. I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray, and after that, Val is going to come and lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, you tell us that we are to rejoice in you always. And Father, what reason you have given us for joy. We are your people by your grace. You have saved us and made us your own. You have turned us from our rebel ways. You have poured your spirit into our hearts and through your spirit you have brought us into the reality of knowing you as Father. Lord, we ask this Christmas that you would turn our eyes and our hearts from the, the glitter and the busyness and the things that distract, no matter how good they are, to see the wonderful gift you have given us and to find joy in Christ. A joy that can never be taken, a joy that can only grow. And in his most precious name we pray. Amen.